This episode of WISE contains discussions of death, dismemberment, and human sacrifice, so listener discretion is advised. This episode also contains a lot of words from the Nahuatl language, which is spoken by about 1.5 million people in Central America today, but it's a complex language that I do not speak, so please bear with my pronunciation of some words. Across the Americas, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of civilizations. If you're in the United States, you can likely name a dozen or so Native American civilizations that have existed. But how many people groups can you name from Central and South America? There may only be three that you can think of offhand, because they're the ones we tend to hear the most about the Mayas, the Incas, and the Aztecs. There are more civilizations that have existed besides these three, all significant in their own right. These civilizations are all of historical and cultural importance, having left behind rich histories and cultures steeped in their colorful influence. The Mayas were the first to leave written records in the Americas, as well as writing the first book. The Incas continue to make news as more sacrificial sites are uncovered in South America. Some of the most recognizable and well-preserved mummies in the world were Incan sacrifices. Given the modern names of the Maiden, the Boy, and the Lightning Girl. The Aztecs left behind fascinating ruins, as well as a reputation for violent sacrifices in mass, often depicted in movies as beating hearts being cut out, while the body they came from gets dramatically kicked down steep temple stairs. But how accurate is this depiction of the Aztecs? To answer that question, the best place to start is with the warrior god founder of modern-day Mexico City, Huitzilopochtli. The Aztecs were of Nahua ethnicity, and Huitzilopochtli was originally of little importance to the Nahua people. However, sometime around 1440 CE, that changed when a man named Tulakalel was appointed to a high-ranking military leadership position, making him essentially the second-in-command of the Aztec military. Tlacolel used his position of power to reshape the Aztecs' view of themselves, declaring them a chosen people. As a warrior, he felt that being a dominant, commanding people should be top priority. He increased militarism, and one way he was able to do this was through moving Huitzilopochtli further up in the Aztec pantheon of gods. 
Tlacolel took a figure that was known to the people, but who was viewed as a low-ranking god, and sometimes just viewed as a heroic figure. And he moved him straight to the top of the pantheon, making Huitzilopochtli one of the most powerful gods known to the Aztecs, a solar god. Prior to this, a god named Nana Watson held this respected position. Nana Watson was known as the most humble of all the gods, so replacing him with Huitzilopochtli was a bold move, but it got the point across. The Aztecs were ready for dominance and war. Huitzilopochtli was the Aztecs and later the Mexicas god of war, the sun, and human sacrifice, as well as becoming the founding patron of Tenochtitlan. His name translates to Hummingbird South or Hummingbird Left, since the Aztecs considered the South to be the left side of the world. While it may seem odd for a warrior god to be associated with something as beautiful and delicate as a hummingbird, hummingbirds are small but vicious creatures, as well as fast, attention-grabbing, and unique. In fact, the Aztecs believed that fallen warriors would join Huitzilopochtli and serve him for four years before returning to Earth as hummingbirds. He was also believed to be served by people killed after being captured by enemies and women who died in childbirth. These dead spirits would wait until the sun rose and follow it across the sky to the palace of Huitzilopochtli, and then return to Earth four years after their death as either hummingbirds or butterflies which is a surprisingly beautiful reincarnation belief, considering it surrounds a bloodthirsty war god. Huitzilopochtli was depicted as a blue or blue-green hummingbird, or as a man with war paint on his face with blue legs and feet, sometimes with bird feet instead of human feet, and often a blue body as well. Sometimes he was feathered in various places like his arms, legs, and sometimes his torso, and his head as well. As a man, he was always depicted with a helmet shaped like a hummingbird's head, which makes him easily distinguishable in art and ruins from the Azteca. Another pretty distinct characteristic is that he was depicted wielding another god as a weapon. Jayuquadl was a serpent of Aztec lore, whose name means turquoise serpent. He was known as a fire serpent and was often considered to be the serpentine embodiment of the fire god, Jayuchikutli. Huitzilopochtli wielded Zayuquadl as an atlatl which was a tool that assisted in throwing a javelin or a spear with force and accuracy. Since he was a solar god, it was said that Huitzilopochtli was so bright that only the bravest warriors could see him, and even then 
only through small slits in their shields. Westerners are very used to myths and legends carrying a rigid story structure, usually with clearly defined family trees and character development stories. The Azteca did not tell stories that followed this rigid structure, so there can be multiple canonical stories about the origin and the actions of gods and other characters. In Huitzilopochtli's case, he has at least three stories that define his origin, family structure and dynamic, and what he stood for. The first is that he was the youngest son of the creator god, Tonakatikutli, and his wife, Tonakatiwatl. His older brothers were Quetzalcoatl, the plumed serpent god of wind, creation, and separation of night and day. Tizcatlipoca, god of the night sky, who carried a specific association with a constellation known as the Great Bear. And Zipatotec, also known as the Flayed One, who was the god of agriculture, spring, and metal workers like goldsmiths and silversmiths, who was known to wear the skin of flayed victims and had associations with ritual flayings. An odd family tree, to be sure, but Huitzilopochtli and Quetzalcoatl worked together to create the sun, the earth, mankind, and fire. The other two origin stories of Huitzilopochtli have some overlap. The virginal goddess, Kotliku, was performing ritual sweeping on Kotepec Mountain when she noticed a small ball of feathers had floated down to her. Curious to investigate the feather ball, she placed it under the fold of her skirt so she could finish sweeping and look at it more closely later. However, when she went to investigate the feathers, she discovered they had disappeared, but she was now pregnant. Kotlikyu had 400 sons and one daughter named Koyuljaukui, and they were all somehow conceived without sexual encounters. Her children were enraged when they discovered their mother had become impregnated in such a way. They felt that she had somehow shamed them with this pregnancy, and so they set out to kill their mother. Huitzilopochtli spoke to his mother from the womb, comforting her and telling her not to worry, because he knew what needed to be done. One of Kotliku's sons helped her and her unborn child see the approach of the other children, and when they arrived, Huitzilopochtli sprang from his mother's womb, fully grown, armored, and armed with weapons, and Xiuquatl. Koil Zhaokui was at the front of the group, so Huitzilopochtli killed her first, slicing off her head and ripping her body apart before throwing her corpse down the mountain. Some tellings say that he killed many of the suns while the rest scattered, becoming stars in the sky, while Koil Zhaokui's spirit became the moon. Huitzilopochtli the sun 
then tasked himself with killing all of them, which is why the sun chases the moon and the stars across the sky. Another version of this story claims that Coil Zhaokui was a female leader of a band of women warriors, and Huitzilopochtli slaughtered her and her warriors, ripping open their chests and eating their hearts. In all of these tellings, these events take place on Kotepec Mountain, which became an important place for worship and sacrifice for the Azteca. Later, Huitzilopochtli saw the suffering of the Azteca at their native home of Azatlan, under the tyrannical rule of the Azatlan elites, the Chicomaztoc. He told the Azteca they needed to set out for a new home and no longer call themselves Azteca. He instructed them that they would now be the Mexica people. So they set out on a journey to find a new home. Along the way, Huitzilopochtli put one of his sisters, named Malinaljochitli, in charge. She founded a city named Malinalco, but the Mexica were not happy with her leadership, so Huitzilopochtli returned. He placed his sister into a deep sleep while he led the people away. When she awoke, she was angry. Later, she gave birth to a child and named him Copil, and when he was grown, he set out for revenge on Huitzilopochtli. When confronted, Huitzilopochtli killed Copil, ripping out his heart and throwing it into Lake Texcoco. Huitzilopochtli then told the Mexica people that the location of Copil's heart would be where they would build their new city, and the sign would be an eagle on a cactus eating a serpent, which should sound pretty familiar to you if you've ever seen Mexico's flag. Once they found this sign, the Mexica founded Tenochtitlan in the middle of Lake Texcoco. Since Huitzilopochtli was always having to chase people across the sky, he needed energy. Lots of energy. The Mexica needed him in order to reign supreme in battle, and they needed him to prevent the end of time. Many Mesoamerican cultures followed a 52-year, quote, century, and they believed that every 52 years the earth was at risk of eternal night. The horrible, skeletal, nightmarish night goddesses, the Titsimime, were always lying in wait to defeat Huitzilopochtli and take over the earth. So it was of the utmost importance for the Mexica to provide him with plenty of energy and to keep him happy. What do you feed a war god other than sacrifices? The Mexica provided Huitzilopochtli with all the human sacrifices he could need to keep his energy and still protect and help them. They built the Templo Mayor, which was a dual temple to both Huitzilopochtli and Tlaloc, 
the god of rain. Tlaloc ruled the north, or the right, while Huitzilopochtli ruled the south, or the left. An altar to each god sat on their respective side of the temple, with Tlaloc's being painted with blue stripes, representing rain, growth, and fertility, while Huitzilopochtli's was painted with red stripes, representing blood and war. Human sacrifices would be made at the Templo Mayor. Sometimes specially chosen Mexica people would be sacrificed, and other times it would be slaves or prisoners of war. Archaeologists have found evidence at the Templo Mayor of Huitzilopochtli's origin story via the Coiljauqui stone found at the base of the Templo Mayor, which depicts the dismembered body of Coiljauqui far below her brother. Archaeologists have also found a large number of the skulls of young women scattered around the location of the stone, making clear the importance of this myth to the Mexica people. The Mexica celebrated Huitzilopochtli at various celebrations throughout the year, and he even had a month dedicated to him, Penquetzalitzi, which occurred between the Gregorian calendars December 7th through 26th. During this month, the people prepared for a huge celebration, sometimes even fasting for part of the month. During the celebration itself, a large statue of Huitzilopochtli was built from amaranth and honey, often with the statue being cut into small pieces for all of the people to consume a piece of the god. Somewhere around 60 people would be sacrificed during this month just in the city of Tenochtitlan. Once the Spanish conquered the Mexica people, they outlawed growing amaranth, and this celebration was no longer celebrated, especially since the Catholic Spaniards would have brought the idea of Christmas with them. Some scholars have posited that while Huitzilopochtli was important to the Mexica, his importance was potentially exaggerated by Western conquerors. After all, his stories draw similarities between beliefs and gods that Europeans would have been familiar with. The Greeks had Ares, while the Romans had Mars, both gods of war. Huitzilopochtli's birth from a virgin would have drawn obvious similarities to the story of Jesus, making the beliefs of the Mexicas more palatable and understandable for European audiences. And really, isn't that exactly what happened throughout the Americas with colonization? Europeans came in and stripped the beliefs and stories from cultures rich with their own histories and twisted them to fit a European narrative, while forcing compliance and change among the people. That is, when they even left people who could comply and change, instead of slaughtering entire groups of people with war and disease. 
the indigenous people of the Americas have continued to fight to prevent erasure of their cultural heritages, recognizing the very real possibility of languages and entire cultures going extinct. Huitzilopochtli was a god of importance to the Mexica people, whether his level of importance was overblown by Europeans or not. The building of what was possibly the most important ancient structure to the Mexicas in his honor certainly places him very near the top of their pantheon. Huitzilopochtli's story is colorful, beautiful, and important. And sure, it was objectively a bad thing that there were human sacrifices taking place. But was it actually any worse than atrocities committed in the name of Christianity or in the name of colonization? It's important to recognize that obviously we know better than to sacrifice people now. But that doesn't justify the erasure and elimination of the cultural backgrounds that got us to where we are today. Thanks for listening to another episode of Wise. Please help me create more content by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash wisepodcast. You'll get access to special content, including two bonus episodes a month. If you want to reach me for any reason, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at awisepodcast or email me at awisepodcast at gmail.com.